Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week, we watch National Lampoon's European Vacation. The Griswolds win a vacation tour across Europe, where the usual havoc ensues. Well, that's accurate. So, it's our second vacation movie. This one is better. Yes. In most ways. (laughs) There's still some bullshit that's gross. Like, all the stuff with the poke the pig host kissing Audrey was disgusting and wildly (laughs) inappropriate. Have you ever watched Family Feud with Richard Dawson? No, and I don't care. Okay. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not okay. He full-on gropes her. It's not okay. That's just the way it is. Yeah, that's fair. The 1980s, I... The the 80s are a garbage, like, dumpster fire of, of just this type of stuff. Like, so are the 90s, so is today. But, like, why would you emulate that? Like, it'd be one thing if he kissed the wife. It it would be better. It would still be bad, but it would be better and less completely horrible. Yikes. Yeah. And then, you know, they just made Audrey one giant tropey fat joke. Yes, that was sad. Actually, the worst part of this movie, aside from the host, was the children. The children are horrible. They're not interesting. They're horrible actors. They made them both tropes and not in fun ways. It's just sad and gross. I don't think it's necessarily the actors. I think it's the writing. Well, the writing's trash, but they aren't good either. Mm, We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. I Um, I don't necessarily agree. What I do like about this movie compared to the last one was that this movie is situational. They are not constructing the problems. They just happen upon them instead. Like the last one, I was so annoyed by how they did things. And this is just, of course, he's driving on the wrong side of the road. He's going to crash. That's funny. That's just something you expect. That's okay. They go into the wrong hotel room. Like, of course, that's something that somebody has actually done. They get scammed into the fountain and their camera gets stolen. Those things happen. So it's not just that these people are idiots that, of course, when they go on vacation, nothing goes right. And that's the brilliance when you have Chevy Chase, Mm -hmm. who is so good at physical comedy and situational comedy, Mm -hmm. because the thing that he always did so well was take a very normal premise and then crazy through his just performance. Yes. Just on his pure talent and ability. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I will never forget the Gerald Ford impression. Yes. Because it is one of the most genius things anybody's ever come up with. Mm-hmm. Because it, it requires no effort other than doing the most insane pratfalls ever. Yeah, because that just became a thing. So this movie's better in that way. And like they instantly got into, we want a trip. We're going to Europe. Our kids don't really want to go, but we're going. That's the premise. It's problems have a lot to do with when it was made Mm -hmm. and what producers thought would fill seats. Probably. Uh, I think those issues that we're bringing up seem like producer notes. Well, she's got to be a fat kid or scared of being fat because that's, you know, that's what's relatable. That sounds like a coked out studio head's note. I understand how it all happens. It's just, it's gross. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I I completely agree. She's a horrible character. 
Her whole thing is that she misses her boyfriend. Everyone's basically making comments that this guy is way too attractive to be with someone like her. Mm. And then she's purposely not eating because her weight is a considerable problem. And then when she's sad, all she, she's going to stuff her face. She's having nightmares about stuffing her face in Europe and not being able to stop. They do a whole special effects sequence with her exploding, essentially. So like, oh, let's perpetuate all of those stereotypes and, you know, problems with eating disorders because, hey, thing a lot of people don't realize is people with eating disorders aren't always the skinny, anorexic looking people. Oh, yeah. Most of them aren't. Those are the extreme cases. And it's just it's just horrible. And then she's just pathetic because she breaks up with her boyfriend because she went away. Like that could have been a thing that happened that had nothing to do with her appearance. Nothing to do again. Everything about that joke works and is fine without adding the ickiness on top of it. Yes. That's the thing. So that's it's, it's what it always comes back to for us. It was like, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to do this to get the joke that you wanted. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, the budget for this movie was $17 million. Obviously, we were shooting on location. Yep. It made a total gross of around $50 million. Okay, so not a huge return, but not bad. It's a PG-13 comedy that's not going to be good for families. Like, this is a hard PG-13. So this was meant for adult audiences for what essentially is a rated R comedy now. That's not a bad takeaway. Uh, It's not great, but it's, I mean, it's not a failure. No. it. Of course, I'm sure it did good on rentals and airplay. Oh, my gosh. That's where I saw this before. Yeah, like... I know I've seen the poke the pig sequence before. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure it started on television. Oh, pig and a poke. Yeah, whatever. Whatever that whole stupid show is called. Our writers, John Hughes, with story and screenplay credit. Oh, God. Now, John Hughes got credit, but he did no work on this film. In fact, he didn't know there was a sequel until he saw a preview for it on television. That's funny. How did that happen? Well... Our actual screenwriter, Robert Klein, whose credits include some episodes of MASH, The Man with One Red Shoe, The Odd Couple Together Again, but his biggest claim to fame being Weekend at Bernie's 1 and 2. That explains a lot. (laughs) That explains almost everything. Oh my, does it ever. Yeah. Klein wrote almost the entire film with input from Heckerling. Okay. But they used elements from the first movie mm-hmm. that didn't wind up in that original script okay. and so because of that Hughes had to get credited exactly oh, okay they cannibalized his work so they have to credit him of course and also he would get credit because he created the characters partly cannibalized but also just partly like when you have stuff left over from an old story they're still good gags so mm-hmm. let's no. reuse those that's fine and I don't have any problem with that but you got to give the guy his credit so mm-hmm I just love that he was like, there's a sequel? I didn't know this was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Weekend at Bernie's explains a yeah, lot. Yeah, that explains yucky. It also explains some of the, like, the hamming it up a little bit. Which the hamming it up was fine for me. No, that's fine too. Like, okay, the sequence when Rusty is imagining himself in the club, that's funny. Yeah. And that totally feels like Weekend at Bernie's. And it also feels like Amy Hecklering. So that's good. And also the version of the song that they use when Beverly D'Angelo is singing 
That's hilarious. Oh my god. That was funny. And I and also, okay, I really do like seeing an old married couple who still are like hot for each other. I think that's <laughs> funny. Like it's kind of gross how handsy Clark can be, but I also like that, like, yeah, they're still down. He's better in this movie because he's not as creepy. I mean, he gets wolf whistly at the club in France. Yeah, which is gross. And he's a creep. There's just no there's no denying that Clark is a creep. But in this one, you see Ellen also is hot to trot too. Yeah. So that's that's nice. It's reciprocated. So that's fun. Clark just comes off a lot more as goofy dad who acts like a moron when he sees breasts. Yeah. At any point. For the most part, is just completely out of his element and completely flustered. But because I keep coming back to this, but you know who did this character perfectly? Eugene Levy in American Pie. The goofy dad who you still love. Chevy Chase does a really good job of this in Christmas Vacation. Mm. I think that's probably the best Clark he's done. Agreed. He's still gross, but it's better. Because that movie, there's not as many opportunities for him to be sleazy. True. He's just unraveling. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the brilliance of Clark Griswold. When they aren't dealing with him being a sleazeball Mm -hmm. and dealing more with him just frenetically trying to hold on to some shred of a fun vacation, that's when you get to see Chevy at his best. I can believe that, yeah. We already mentioned her, but our director, Amy Heckerling. Yep. We have talked about her so much. I'm not going through credits again. Best Times at Ridgemont High uh and Clueless Uh have already been mentioned on this show. Yep. And those are probably the two biggest ones. Those are the biggest ones outside of this one. Yep. Yep. I like her. Yeah, you can can feel it. You can feel that like because she knows how to play with silly. Like I feel like she's good at letting people. Okay, this is the scene. This is what we're going to do. Y'all do it. She's definitely a director who lets people do what they do best on screen. Who could have been better? Okay. Before I jump in with my thoughts. Okay. Harold Ramis. Okay. He turned down as he was busy with, with Ghostbusters. <sighs> I didn't like the last one. And I think the script was worse for the last one. So I don't know. Something I was thinking about as we talked about this just now. Harold Ramis comes from the Second City. Correct. So... With all of these different people coming from SCTV and sketch comedy and all these different things, I think Harold Ramis directed the first Vacation movie Mm -hmm. like it was a long-form Second City sketch. Yes. It's almost like it's an unpolished improv. I think one of the things that happened was the script wasn't tight enough. Yeah. And they relied too much on creating problems instead of being like, I'm going to put an entire family in a car and that's the funny. Yeah. And then letting the people that you hire create the funny. And we know that this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. And these are going to be part of the things that contribute to the annoying, horrible thing that causes Clark to explode. If that was the script and that was like, this is how we are actually going to attack this. Similar to how Judd Apatow does things. We know that there's a lot of improv They do do the script, but they also like, let's see if we can do it better. Let's go. Let's just do things that are funny and silly. If that was the aim, if that was the direction of that actual movie, it could have been a lot better. But it wasn't. So it was crap. You hit the nail on the head with it's not as tight a script. 
John Hughes does not have the complete script for this movie and is focused so much on the kids and they wanted this to be an R-rated comedy about the grown-ups. Yeah. So And see, this movie totally fucks the kids over. They're horrible. You could remove the kids completely from this story and it would have been much better. <laughs> it would have if you deleted everything that had to do with the kids. Yeah. I the mean, movie's, the movie's still fine because it's all about Clark and Ellen. Yeah, they're shoehorned in a lot. They're shoehorned in and they're bad at that. But yeah, Amy Heckerling does a better job with this, I think because she knows how to hit a film beat and a story beat. And she just knows how, what, what is this scene about? What's the joke here? Yeah, our cast. Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold. Now, we're not going to give go through his credits every time. He's going to be in all of these movies. So let's talk about Clark. How do you feel about Chevy in this movie? I mean, he's better written in this film. Yes. Like last time he was just a dick and a horn dog and he was gross. And yeah. this time he's a horn dog. He's less of a dick. He's less gross. So it's more enjoyable. It's more entertaining to watch him be crazy, to have those moments where he's really into his wife. And then when they're at the show and he, even he's surprised by seeing all those boobs and uh-huh. Ellen's surprised by seeing all these boobs. So it's kind of like he's surprised but into it. And she's kind of like, I don't know how to feel about this, and that's okay. <laughs> so, like, his awfulness is tempered by the other shit that's going on. But also just all the moments of him losing it. <laughs> the roundabout scene. Just- yeah, there's Big Ben again. Yes. We know Big Ben. Parliament. Look, kids, forget it. (laughs) It's amazing. I cannot get left. There's Big Ben, kids, Parliament. I don't know. Okay, that scene is wasted on that square because they should have done it in France where it's much harder. It's like seven lanes across. Seven lanes across. They went for the obvious joke in each country. But that wasn't the obvious. That it's just bad because it could it plays better in France. I don't know. The French waiter scene is pretty good. The French waiter scene is great, but they here's the other thing is they could have done that in almost any country where they don't speak the language. Again, it's 1985 and they're going with the stereotype. I'm I, I totally understand that. I really do. <laughs> oh, The opening title sequence was actually Chevy Chase's idea, and he insisted his name be first in case the movie did well. Because, of course. He he thought he was going to be hot shit. According to Chevy Chase, he and Amy Heckerling didn't get along. Because, of course. Yeah. He was unhappy with the final film. Gee, you think, asshole? Because you're an asshole. Yep, Chevy's an asshole. We know that. (sighs) If it wasn't confirmed on Community, it's definitely confirmed. He is a garbage pile. And it's a shame because he's one of the best comedic actors we've ever had. He just thought he was too hot shit to put in the actual effort. Well, it's it's the effort. And then, then it becomes, as he's gotten older, it's just like, well, everybody loves me. I'm a classic, amazing person. I shouldn't have to make any adjustments to what I do ever because I'm amazing. Which is so funny because people hated him for so long. They used to punch down on him constantly after his his late night show. Like yeah. he became just the biggest ridicule in Hollywood, mm-hmm. but he still thought he was hot shit. Yeah. 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 That's what years of cocaine will do to you. 
But one fun note, he claims that he still has the full pig costume and the Wally World shirt in his possession. I believe that. I want that Wally World sweater. It's a good sweater. It is a good sweater. Beverly D'Angelo as Ellen Griswold. She is the best part of this movie. She really tempers Clark, so she makes the movie. Like, she sells so many scenes because she's game. Like, I love her dream of, like, what's going... Her whole thing is that they get to meet the queen and Princess Diana and Prince Charles. And, like, of course, Princess Diana is gorgeous and amazing, but Clark still only wants her. And they know all of them. They've been around them all the time. Like, I love that. It's such a sign of the times. It's like, wait, oh, yeah, nope. She is she is Princess Diana because this is in 85, so they already got married because, yes, I am named after Princess Diana. <laughs> I was born in 84. You see her in this, then you see her in Christmas Vacation, and you start to go, hey, you shouldn't forget the fact that Beverly D'Angelo is, like, kind of amazing. And she got a few moments in Vacation, Mm -hmm. but not enough. No. This is the movie where finally we get to go, oh, yeah, that's right. Beverly D'Angelo is also really fucking good. Yeah, because the last movie, my complaint was that she had absolutely no agency. And for this movie, there's a little bit more. I mean, it's still, Clark's still running the show. But, like, she's able to, like, manipulate him a little bit. Oh, when she stares him down in Rome and declares war on him. Yes, I love it. Oh, boy. Take it easy, I don't believe this. This is the most humiliating thing you've ever done to me. This is the last straw, Clark. Uh, Don't get mad at me. It's not my fault they stole the camera. You promised you were going to erase it. I I did. I was. I was going to erase it. The guy stole the camera. This is the lowest, the worst, Clark. Ellen, where are you going? We have to be at the Coliseum at 2 p.m. I love it. It's great. And then is just sobbing into her drinks with the French thief. Oh, it's great. Oh, good times. She actually came up with the nickname Sparky. Oh, okay. And according to Chevy, she still calls him that to this day. Well, of course. Which is adorable. That is cute. I'm happy that so far it sounds like they had a good working relationship. I think so. So, like, that's good. I feel like they wouldn't have been able to do four and a half movies together without enjoying each other's company. I mean, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there are people who like, we showed up, we did our job, and we went home, and that was it. And I don't care about who this person is outside of what's going on in that scene. Also, this is according to Chevy, so who the fuck knows? She could think he's the worst person in the world, and she just calls him Sparky because he's an ass, (laughs) which would also make total sense. It's true. Dana Hill as Audrey Griswold. Now, you hated her. Yep. I actually thought she was kind of good. What are her other credits? Well, she did tons of television before and after this, Mm -hmm. but did a lot of voice work because right around this time, she could not work on set because she had type 1 diabetes since she was a child. Oh, okay. And actually passed away in 1996 dealing with that. Oh, okay, yeah. Type 1 is very hard to manage. Yes. But most famously, you would know her as the voice of Max on Goof Troop. Oh, okay. So she wound up doing a ton Ton of voice work work later on. Yeah, that's less stressful, and you can do it from home, or you can do it all at once. Yeah, no. And hearing her voice in this movie, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a great voice acting voice. Oh, yeah. I don't think she's that bad. I think she's committing to the character in the script, which is a really terribly written character. But I think she's fully invested. That's what I enjoyed about her performance. I I think she made too many choices to sound whiny. And I just, yes, she's written horribly. 
That is not the actress's fault. I found nothing interesting or enjoyable about her performance at any time. I just I did. I, I didn't. I, I no. Just I don't no. know. Just no. But like I said, you could delete the children completely from this movie and you wouldn't miss anything. That's fair. Nothing's lost. Yeah, that's fair. And finally, playing Rusty Griswold is Jason Lively. I thought Anthony Michael Hall was in this movie. I was not correct. Mm-hmm. Who could have been better? Mm-hmm. Anthony Michael, Michael Hall. He turned it down for weird science. That was the right move. Yeah. He made the right choice. Now, I will say this. Had there been no conflict. He would have been fine in this. I would have been interested to see what he did with this movie. Mm-hmm. Where we take wide eye, loves his dad, Rusty, from the first movie. And, and makes him a little less like enamored and way more horny. Because the thing that I really did enjoy about how they wrote Rusty is Rusty does not buy into his dad's bullshit anymore. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, dad, whatever. whatever. It's great. Like, <laughs> like it's, I saw what you did when we went to Wally like, World. I've been on this trip with you before. I know what's going to happen here. <laughs> I just want to look at girls. Okay, leave me alone. Like, that's funny. That's a better take on Randy or Rusty. Why do I keep calling him Randy? Because Randy Quaid. <sighs> Fuck. Fuck you, Randy Quaid. He wasn't in this one. Anthony Michael Hall turning this movie down spurned the decision to recast the kids in every subsequent movie. Stupid. I don't know. They couldn't keep the kids, so they just recast them. That's really what it is. It is a funny bit, though. And, well, it is funny, but it's only funny if they comment on it. If they yeah, go, that's true. It's like, oh, did you get shorter? It's <laughs> like something, like, I haven't seen you in a while, Dad. The one other thing you should know is Jason Lively has almost no credits, mm-hmm. but he is the half brother of. Blake Lively. I knew I knew who was live. And their older sister, their sister Robin Lively, who's also an actress. So yeah, they're all related. Yeah. Arpons. There are many, and I kept pointing them out. I was like, that's who that is. That's who that is. They're very obvious and fun. We start off with John Aston as Kent Winkdale, host of Pig in a Poke. Gomez Adams. Gomez fucking Adams, mm-hmm. among so many other things. His list was long. Yes, it's very long. His character is a mix of Wink Martindale from Tic Tac Doe and Richard Dawson from Family Feud, mm-hmm. hence the making out with women on stage. Yep. Yeah, it's gross. Paul Bartell as Mr. Froger of the opposite family. He is a longtime character actor, but also director of some like super early indie movies that have some acclaim. So I'm not going to go through a whole bunch, but mm-hmm. look the guy up. He has some interesting stuff out there. Cool. Cynthia Segetti as Mrs. Froger, mm-hmm. also kind of a character actor, fun claim to fame. She is an improv teacher that taught Lisa Kudrow and Conan O'Brien. Aw, because that's where they met. They dated for a while. Mm. Fun weird fact. William Zabka as <laughs> Jack. It's William Zabka. I'm sorry. I can never not hear that name and not think of Barney Stinson talking about him, the real karate kid. Yep. I cannot, just like, I cannot hear Ralph Macchio's name without Ralph Macchio. I just can't. It's the best. Of course, he was Johnny and Karate Kid. This movie is right after it, which is so funny when Audrey has pictures plastered everywhere. And you're like, how did she have that many? Oh, that's right. (laughs) No. It was a teen dream. Like, I knew who it was the second we saw him. And then the pictures when she plastered him, I was like, oh, this is right after Karate Kid. Yeah. <laughs> which is also hilarious. And again, that was so funny. She's brought all these pictures with her to Europe. The whole conceit of her being whiny about Jack is fucking hilarious. That's what I actually enjoyed. I think for me, 
I tuned out the tropiness, which is easy enough to say, but I'm watching this enjoying what it should have been, not what it was. Mm -hmm. Okay, I figured it out. The way they should have written Audrey, I don't care what she looks like or what he looks like, doesn't matter, is that she is so obsessed with still trying to talk to him. She's writing him letters. She's sending him postcards. She's trying to call him on the phone in any way she can, and she never gets to talk to him. And at the end of the movie, we find out that he has been equally obsessed with her, and somehow he has figured out how to get to Europe just as she's coming back home and they miss each other. And that's part, like, that would have made it so funny. It would have given her something to do. And then it would have tied it up and still made it great. Now, I do love her on the phone with her best friend. Yes. Debbie, Debbie. get him on the phone or we'll never be friends again. Yes, I'll hold. Bitch. (laughs) That's great. See, that's the thing about her performance to me. She was so invested and committed. Okay, fair. But I I, I fixed her character. Yeah. I I figured out what her story should have been. I just, I really enjoyed her. I just, I agree. Her character was just so bad. Yeah. Now, Jason Lively couldn't act his way out of a paper bag i'm sorry mel smith as the hotel manager yeah i saw him and i was like oh, it's the albino uh-huh it's the albino from princess bride <laughs> you can't understand him for the first like three lines i love it on purpose with the wonderful gag of clark pulling out the pocket translator daddy speak in english <laughs> we're in london <laughs> Though I will say, if you're going on a European vacation and you're from an English-speaking country, starting in London is great because you like they do speak your language, and most of Europe speaks English to a degree. But it is great because you you definitely know I am somewhere else. You can get, I am in a different world. You can get over the jet lag. Yes. With at least an understanding of language before you throw yourself into... Like, you'll know what food you're eating. <laughs> will you? Yes, In you England? Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yes, you will. I will mention one other credit for him, which he was on a longtime sketch show called Not the 12 O'Clock News. Mm-hmm. The reason I mention that is one of his castmates from that show is our Who Could Have Been Better, Ooh. Rowan Atkinson. Oh, that would have been amazing. But he's great, too, so I don't care. For what they were doing mm-hmm. with him being a sleazeball, mm-hmm. dirty, bed-and-breakfast-in manager, just kind of lower middle class with his mother running a hotel, I think it makes more sense for Mel Smith than Rowan Atkinson. Agreed. Rowan Atkinson could cer- certainly could have had a part here. Rowan Atkinson could have been one of the drivers. He could have been one of the drivers. He could have been the Eric Idle character. Yeah. Well... Was he next on your list? Eric fucking Idol as yeah. the bike rider. I mean, I'm not going to do any credits for him. You know who Eric Idol is. If you don't, go find the Googles. <laughs> <laughs> he is a recurring bit that signifies how good other recurring bits would have been in this movie. I think one of the issues that we have is there's no tether. There's no specific through lines. Because mm-hmm. it feels like a series of episodes of different things happening. Yes. And that's the flaw in the script is you don't have these other characters that keep popping back up, Mm -hmm. except for this bike rider who keeps getting the shit beat out of him by Clark accidentally. I love that. Like, he's just standing there with his legs bleeding. It's like, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. It's only a flesh wound. Like, "Mm, there it was. Oh, of course they did it. I hate to bother you, but we're from the United States. We're staying at the Royal Imperial Windsor Arms. Royal Imperial Windsor. Very nice hotel. Well, yeah, we like it. It's a little small. Yeah. Well, you uh, you go back the way you came, and you just uh, keep going to... Oh, 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 oh
my God. Oh, I think you've got a bad cut there. We better get you to the hospital. It's just a flesh wound, honestly. Are you sure? Nothing to write home about. Uh, no need to bother, matron. Did you say left or right up there? Uh, just a left, yeah. Oh! Oh, oh, maybe it's broken. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just a leg, honestly. I've got another one. Yeah, no, I'll, 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 just, uh, I'll just pop into the chemist. <laughs> Be right as rain in the morning. The final is until Sunday. Oh, good. Well. Now, there are some who could have been betters for this character. Okay. They originally wanted Rick Mayall from The Young Ones, so kind of a younger, punky guy. Okay. But he was not available, and they also considered John Cleese. I was about to say, you're going to say John Cleese. Eric Idle's best. I agree. Eric Idle is the only one of those that can pull off goofy, oh, shucks, it's okay. It's fine that you basically broke my leg. <laughs> That's the only way that works. Yep. Next up, Robbie Coltrane as Man in Bathroom. It's Hagrid. It is Hagrid. He walked in. I was like, "Is that Robbie Coltrane?" Because he's uh-huh. so he looks so young. So I'm not. Which I, of course, I'm used to seeing him as Hagrid. But I was like, "Wait, that that's who that is." And he has been in a million other things too. So I mean, true. He's great in the two seconds he's in the movie. He's great. I appreciate that he is like a lady likes me. But he's not exactly super creepy about it. No, he's just like, oh, this happened. Okay. Are oh. you, you're hitting on me? Well, okay. Okay. And it's like, oh, I'm enjoying this attention. I'm just going to do my thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get in the bathtub. Do, 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 do. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is a scene that could have gotten so icky, but it never really felt that way. No, this is just like, this is a mistake that was made. Nobody does anything untoward. He probably could have left, but it was just also like, it's a shared bathroom. It's so Faulty Towers. Yes. In the best way. And speaking of Faulty Towers, Mm -hmm. Ballard Berkeley as English motorist number two, the older gentleman. Okay. He played one of the regular wacky elderly people staying in Faulty Towers. Mm -hmm. We have Moon Unit Zappa, Mm -hmm. credited just as Moon Moon Zappa, Zappa, as Rusty's California girl. Love it. More interesting than Rusty. True. <laughs> Might have been an okay Audrey. Of course, daughter Frank has done many, many different roles. I think this is one of her earliest ones, though. Probably. Yeah, that makes sense. So she's still, she's, she was still just being called Moon. But she's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, I enjoyed her on screen. And finally, the pig in a poke announcer, Gary Owens. He is a longtime television announcer, got his start on Rona Martin's Laugh-In, and made tons of appearances in other movies you would also know him as the original voice of space ghost okay trivia trivia chevy chase said he got dozens of letters from london tourists who got stuck in a roundabout while they were in london yeah obviously we talked about the flesh wound line because it's so funny there but chevy chase and eric idol became very good friends while filming the movie Mm -hmm. and they did early work on a potential follow-up National Lampoon's Australian Vacation. The only things they actually got on paper were a few shark-related gags. Okay. And then they wound up shelving the project. Mm. But hey, they they started that idea. Would Australian Vacation have been any good? Mm. If Chevy Chase and Eric Idle were writing it, and they got the right person to direct it, I could see it. Maybe. I I guess I just don't care. (laughs) No, I, I get it. This film briefly knocked Back to the Future off the top box office spot for one week before Back to the Future came back and stayed there for eight more weeks. 
Oh, well, they had their one mo- day in the sun. You know what? I'll take it. Be like, look, we got number one. We got some good promotion. And now this amazing cinematic jewel is going to be back here for a while. Bye, everybody. I like it. The video camera used to film Ellen was Chevy Chase's actual video camera. <laughs> We have to mention there's a couple of decent songs on this soundtrack. Not bad. We have Power Station, Some Like It Hot Mm -hmm. in the 80s dance scene. We have A Town Called Malice by The Jam when they're driving through the punky part of England. Okay. And as they travel through the Louvre, Plastic Bertrand's Saplan Pour Moi, Mm -hmm. a French new wave classic. Yep. And finally, the literal translation of the billboard with Ellen's picture is... The lady in the shower. Mm, I like it. <laughs> I do. It's fun. That is maybe the best gag in the whole movie. Like, erase the tape, erase the tape. And you think, oh, so this is just going to be embarrassing. And then it's like, oh, no, it's an Italian porno film. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, you knew the second that he took it, it was just like, he's going to forget. And then like, someone's going to see it. I was like, there's just no way. But you don't expect it to become like a thing. Like a thing. That was great. And And then they get to Italy and everybody knows who the Griswolds are. Yeah. It's like, it's you. It's Ellen Griswold. That that was just, I was unexpected and that was fun. That was probably the best part of the movie. Uh, At least this one got better gags. Like that, that is a thing that's like, oh, it paid off. Yeah. It paid off. Good. Yeah. It's a shame. It's not going to get any better. I'm sorry. Okay. So, my movie, my mm-hmm. rating, Yep. I mean, how many JVC video cameras are you going to give this movie? I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I think, yeah, the writing is mushy, mm-hmm. but there's gags that really work and pay off. Yeah. And Ellen and Clark get equally matched in this movie. Yes. Which makes for much better comedy. I really do like some of the kids' performances, specifically Dana Hill as Audrey for the commitment to it. And I think that's what pushes it just slightly over. Uh, so I think the last one I rated as a one. One and a half. Well, okay, one and a half. Wow, I was being generous. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this one's a two and a half. I'll say two and a half. Ooh, okay, okay. The writing is considerably better and so is the direction. So like, I wasn't as twitchy and angry about it when I was watching it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it has a better script. And so if this one was on TV, I wouldn't honestly go, ugh, turn it off. This is a perfect turn it on and don't actually watch it. Like, movie. I'm going to fall asleep to this movie. Yeah. I can, I can fall asleep to this because I don't care about it. All right. Well, next up, we get what might be considered the worst movie in this entire series and maybe the worst movie of Chevy Chase's career. Whoa. Way to sell it. But on the other hand, you get Ethan Embry. Oh, he's my favorite. So I don't know. I love him so much. I will say this. When I saw this, when I was like nine or 10, Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Okay. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I have no expectations. I think that's probably good. Well, okay. I have two expectations. That the Griswold family's in it. Yes. And that they're going to be in Vegas at some point. Correct. Okay, so uh, those expectations will be met. You might even get a little more than that. Whoa. So. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you.